everyone and welcome to another episode of Dating or At Least Trying. I'm Alex. I'm Daisy. And today we are joined by a guest that we're very excited about. It's been a long time in the making just because we've dreamed about it. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Dr. Jill McDevitt. I'm so excited to be here mm-hmm. with you. I, I just noticed your water bottle with my sticker. Oh, oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it has been a long time coming. Mm-hmm, definitely. So you're based in San Diego and you're a sexologist here. So kind of we wanted to see because we know the story we heard you talk at a lady killers event a month ago about and we just think it's so cool that you're based in San Diego especially because San Diego it's like seeing all these small businesses it's really cool to have that all here based here so something that like we're super interested in which is sex dating relationships all that you're here and you're an expert here so kind (laughs) of (laughs) how did you end up in San Diego and kind of what's your background yeah so I'm originally from Philadelphia and I've always since I was a young teen wanted to study human sexuality including the relationships and the dating components of it because I know when I was growing up I was very confused I was misled I was really ashamed and embarrassed and I knew that other people must be as well so in high school I just learned a lot and read a lot and became that person in on the school bus who was telling all my friends and giving the facts and busting myths and I just really like how that felt so it just became a lifelong um, journey personally and professionally and academically to study sex in a scientific way and then bring that science to folks in a way that's like accessible and fun Mm -hmm. and then I moved to San Diego six years ago because um it was I always joke and say sex and uh sex positivity and sun sunshine (laughs) um the two s's um because Philadelphia um is not known for its its open-mindedness around sexuality and gender and those things and I had a lot of um pushback in my career Mm -hmm which just kind of wore on me and the clouds and overcast and rain wore on me. So I was like, I'm moving. (laughs) (laughs) It's time to move. How did you kind of deal with that pushback? I mean, I'm, I, you, you tell stories now that still it's, it's such a topic that people, you're always going to get pushback, but how do you kind of deal with that throughout and even currently? It's changed over the course of my adult life. You know, when I was younger, when I was starting, all the stereotypes about being, you know, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, mm-hmm. they're so were true from my experience. I was 21. I just graduated with a bachelor's degree in sexuality, marriage, and family. Mm-hmm. I was ready to go. I started the sex education business. Um, the the local township didn't want to issue me a business permit, mm-hmm. and I was getting lawyers, and I was doing protests, and I was just very ambitious to to fight it. And as time goes on, I'm like, you know, <laughs> I just want to read my book by the pool, and you know, have clients who have already done that much work and mm-hmm. and and more need you know, more education or, or more um, ways, tools to, to deal with their own lives and feelings. But I don't really want to be like dragging people out from, you know, the 1800s. Right. I'm kind of done with <laughs> that. You're in my mid-30s. I'm like, I'm, yeah, <laughs> too tired. <laughs> so I know you've said that at the time. I mean, you had to, there was only one school, I think you said that offered sexuality in your undergrad or was that for yes. your master's? In, in, gra- at, in the graduate level okay. at the time. So, yeah. I mean, that's one of the positives. Sometimes people mm-hmm. ask me like, have you noticed changes over the mm-hmm. course of your career? And I'm like, that's a positive one. I mean, I remember being in high school. I'm the first um, person in my family to go to college. So mm-hmm. I'm a first generation college student so my parents not only didn't have the information to help me study sex specifically but they didn't really know about 
loans and schools and like they, you know, they just didn't know. So I was really on my own for all of that. And, um, and at the time there was really only one program mm -hmm. and it was in, um, Canada outside of Toronto. Mm -hmm. And now there are 84. Mm -hmm. Wow. So awesome. between what was the 17? So this is 2002 mm -hmm. that I was a senior in high school looking for schools and I found one to now being 84, yeah. including University of Kansas, which continues to blow my mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, that's a nice... Yeah, have you had the opportunity to go to any other schools and speak or visit? No, and that's a really great... Oh, yeah. That's something that I'm like, mm -hmm. we should be... Yeah, because yeah. Um, I'm always curious about the perspective because um, who, you know... I'm always curious who are the professors in these programs yeah. teaching if they yeah. themselves, you know, but Definitely. at some point, you know, somebody just does the research and, and takes allied feels like yeah definitely makes programs so I remember at the lady killers event how you talked uh specifically about how the clitoris there was a lot of research done on it till kind of like later and way later than I'm sure the penis so <laughs> even in science it's kind of like biased in a way too so kind of how do you like tackle that and then what was the research that was found on the clitoris because that's such an important fact too yeah so you know it, it wasn't a question for a long time because it was kind of understood anecdotally they like know what happens when you rub it you mm -hmm. see the reaction people mm -hmm. have like it um but it and then freud comes along and has to like create a social construct mm -hmm. around orgasm of which now there's two orgasms there's vaginal mm -hmm. orgasms and latour orgasms and that's just like an invention mm -hmm. right but it's stuck mm -hmm. And so then, then we had to start doing research on, on the clitoris because then you're like, well, is this true? And then we wanted to start like fact checking. And then that's where it starts to unravel because the more research that starts to get done, the more we're like, there's not really anything vaginally that's happening. There's not the nerves. There's not the erectile tissue. There's just nothing going on there. So then the, and then that's when the big research came out um, with the cadavers, mm -hmm. which looked at the actual structure of the of the clit going into the body mm -hmm. several inches um, in multiple directions. It right. looks like little roots, kind of like a little wishbone-looking thing. And, and this is frustrating in so many ways because, because what we already did know was this thing called genital homology, which is when embryos are developing in a in a normative situation and a typical situation how the tissue kind of grows in different directions so if you have like a ovary is is the testicle from the same tissue and and we see the labia and scrotum slack and back and forth and back and forth so we knew the penis had these pieces inside it that are erectile but we'd we <laughs> i don't know why no one questioned like well this for that and this for that and this for that so where's this other missing piece oh it branches into the pelvis so it wasn't until someone actually cut open some dead bodies mm -hmm. in the late 90s and and then it stayed in academia for a decade so right. like the research was you know how it is it's not like groundbreaking new thing everything is like builds on other people's research mm -hmm. so it goes slow 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 mm -hmm. but um Really, it didn't come into mainstream audiences outside of, unless you're a urologist, mm -hmm. until 2009. And that is that just is insane. That's so crazy. It's just, yeah, that's absolutely insane. <laughs> I'm like, wow. So to speak to your point, absolutely, we tend to think of things as concrete mm -hmm. of, of, mm -hmm. the, of the 
physical sciences yeah. and the biologies. And then we have like the social sciences that we tend to think of as more flexible. Mm-hmm. And I always say, we're still using our social lens with all of our biases, including our gender mm-hmm. biases mm-hmm. and cultural misogyny to look at things as simple as this body part that exists. Yeah. Yeah. And then even in 2009, like it's not catching on to the public, right? Like I'm, I'm sure there's still people that like it took years for them to even know this stuff. So it's like, that's so insane too. Yes. And it's still to my knowledge only mm-hmm. in one textbook in it's full glory. Yeah. Although I do believe oh that it is making more mainstream knowledge because of social media mm-hmm. and people kind of putting out the imagery of what the full cultural structure looks like and making mm-hmm. earrings out of the shape and, mm-hmm. and things like that because Friday night I actually went to an improv show mm-hmm. at old, um, old city improv, mm-hmm. old town improv. And, um, and one of the skits was that they were clitoral magnets from someone's Etsy page and they were stuck to the refrigerator and they had to act <laughs> out things. And so oh all God. the actors went into the the position oh okay and i was like wow yeah so at least some people and i don't think that they're anything in the field they just got given this prompt they're like okay yeah and that's the shape that they took they took the shape so i you know i think it is trickling yeah slowly slowly (laughs) and you touched on social media a little bit how has that changed your business and how you educate and work with people it's it's you know it has its good sides it's Mm -hmm. bad sides it's ugly sides Mm -hmm. it's beautiful you know it's just like anything else that humans do get their hands on so for me it's it's been good because of exactly that reason that I can educate people you know it's really nice and rewarding when when people that you know I don't know personally and Mm -hmm. really they don't know me personally say oh I've been following you on social media since I was a teenager and you taught me so much and I never Mm -hmm. thought about this way and I learned Mm -hmm. you know these things and and you know you put out stuff you put out content and you don't know like you put out a podcast you have no idea who's listening or how it's going to impact mm-hmm. them and so it's nice to kind of get that feedback yeah. so that's nice it's a, it's a great educational tool but also people who aren't educated are using it as an educational tool so mm-hmm. there's still misinformation right and then you know it can be very ugly you know people can be cruel and yeah. you know i've had nasty things and it's also um tough to to use it for business for marketing because Mm -hmm. instagram and facebook are very well you know they're proofs and very sex phobic and they flag my ads and i can't run things and Mm -hmm. they delete certain images and And their supporters and support so (laughs) so they do not help at all yeah so i can't do any marketing i can't do any paid advertising Mm -hmm. i have to do fully organic right Putting out stuff that's interesting and hope people want to follow. Right. Yeah. Do you think that'll change for the better? Because I know you talked about at that event also how um, that kind of, it's like trying to help stop, you know, like bad things that can, like sex trafficking and different things like that. But do you think there'll ever be a way for it to be better for sex educators and for people that are doing, making positive change? Um, Not with the way that it's currently um, banning things. Um, You know, we'd have the good science that shows that censorship around sexuality doesn't work mm-hmm. for whatever people are hoping it's going to do, whether, mm-hmm. oh, we shouldn't um, post about sexual content on social media because that might offend people or that might increase sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it's not true. Mm-hmm. Or we might, we should shield um, sex education from schools because that might encourage children to go have sex. Every time someone's like, we should censor this, mm-hmm. whatever their motivation is and their 
their gut reaction, it kind of comes from fear and shame and their own desire to protect or they think they're doing a good thing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work, mm-hmm. even if they were right. And we agree we want to stop this thing, which we don't always um, in certain cases. Um, but even if it were, it's not true. Right. And then this is where I get into, this is where I have a lot of emotions because I, because then I go back to the science and I'm like, it doesn't have to be about sex. Mm-hmm. Let's look at science. Let's look at facts, you know, and move away from our emotional gut reactions. Definitely. Yeah. How was sex education for you growing up? Cause I don't know about you, Daisy, but for me, like it was not good. Mm-hmm. Like I never learned anything. I know they separated girls and guys, like, which I think is so ridiculous. And I mean, I was what, like, 10 years ago getting sex sex education, even less when I was in high school. And I was in California of all places, like let alone other states in the United States. Like it's crazy. So how do you feel like yours was? And do you feel like that kind of affected like how much, I mean, obviously you're so passionate about your work, but like how much, how gung-ho you are. You're like, I've seen what it can be like and Mm. it sucks. (laughs) Yeah. Ugh. it was abysmal. Mm -hmm. It was abysmal. I recall I went to a public a public school, but teachers don't want to teach sex ed, mm-hmm. but there are certain mandates. So what they'll do is they'll bring in guest speakers, parts of organizations who that's their job and they go and do these things. The problem is they're just so happy to have someone else do this mm-hmm. that they don't vet yeah. it. And so there was an organization at, um, from a quote, you know, a crisis pregnancy center. Are you mm-hmm. familiar with these types of organizations? Yeah. So they, this is, you know, so it's a, it's a Christian organization, which is fine, but it's covert. They don't talk about their mission. So they talk like, Hey, we're talking about healthy relationships, healthy puberty and changes, but really they have a very specific mission to, um, to, for abstinence and they have, they have fear-based tactics. And so I recall vividly them coming in to my, they came in twice, one to my health class. And then I took an elective in child development mm-hmm. and that teacher brought them in again. So I had <laughs> double the fun <laughs> <laughs> of, of, I remember the tape. Have you ever heard of the tape demonstration? So they had, she had a piece of pa- a clear packing tape mm-hmm. and she holds it up in the class and she says, girls, now this is a co-ed public school Mm. girls this is your virginity and then she pulls boys to the room and she puts it on their arms and is like and then this is like if you have a boyfriend but then you break up and she rips it off and then you go to college and you think he cares about you but he doesn't and he rips it off and she's going down (laughs) the line of boys that you're having sex with in the class and then at the end she paints this very dramatic scene about your wedding day and the love of your life and da 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 and you have that special white wedding and then afterwards and then she goes to put the tape on his arm Mm -hmm. and it falls to the floor very dramatically and she picks it up and she goes but it doesn't stick because it's covered in the dirt and arm hair and skin cells of everybody who came before oh my gosh and oh my gosh I've never heard of that example before and the thing that's awful and I really don't talk about this much although it is in my memoir um in my first book that at this time that I'm hearing this message, I was very much in love with my high school boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And we were together all four years. At this point, it's two or three years in. And it was very special to me. And I felt like the romance and the love piece and the sex piece made sense together. Mm -hmm. And society was going in one direction with like sex in ways that didn't make me feel comfortable because I wanted it to be connected Mm -hmm. with love, which is fine so it resonated me with this message that they should go together Mm -hmm. because I thought it was the only 
time I ever got messaging around sex that talked about it being important. So I feel like this is what times it gets tough when we go to too many extremes. We're like, mm-hmm. casual sex is great. Not having sex is great. Wanting sex to be romantic is great. So I think sometimes we go sex positive is like, we, it's corny to want it to be romantic or special, mm-hmm. right? So sometimes I think we swing that way. So in my 16 year old brain that resonated, like, well, can it be special too? And if being special means waiting, then we should wait. So I go home to my high school boyfriend who, by the way, we were doing, we were the everything, everything but quote unquote, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. the oral sex and this and the this, mm-hmm. but we're like, and we hadn't had intercourse just because, you know, we weren't ready at that time. Mm-hmm. But I said, what if we just wait until we get married? And I laid out all this, the case with the, with the, the tape. <laughs> you brought the new tape. <laughs> <laughs> and plus his heart, he's like, okay, yeah. you know, of course, you know, we're going to be doing all kinds of other <laughs> R-rated and X-rated things the next day, but not that one particular sex act. Mm. And this carried on in my life for quite a while. Yeah. And it wasn't until years later that I was like, what the hell? That was so toxic. Mm-hmm. That was so horrible. It was misogynist because it was only the girls. It talked about my value and my worth being yeah. basically what I was doing with my genitals. Mm-hmm. It lied about the fact that you have to be married for it to be special because mm-hmm. we were having other sex that was very special and very romantic and lovely. Um, so it was just, it was not good. And then later, Elizabeth Smart, who is, who is my age, and I remember she, when she was kidnapped, I don't know if you recall the situation, she was 14, I was 14. So this was something that I was paying attention to because she was my age. And I remember later when she said that she um, had the same sex ed that I did, except instead of the tape, they used chewing gum as their analogy. And the chewing gum was you... You know, you, once you chew it, you're never going to be able to have anybody. No one's going to want your chew gum, right? Oh, <laughs> my, my gosh. And I think I've been traumatized. That's awful. I feel like in many ways I was traumatized by this. And, and she had said that many times during her capture, she had opportunity where she heard rescuers calling her name and looking for her. And she could have yelled out and been rescued and she didn't. Mm -hmm. And of course people were like, why? And she said that she had been raped daily Mm -hmm. during this kidnapping. And she said, well, I was already a used piece of gum. So what good would I be if I got rescued and saved anyway? And this is what I talk about when I say that shitty sex education Mm -hmm is horrible good quality sex education honest empathetic education saves lives Mm -hmm. because whether physically literally saves your life or you think your life is worth saving Mm -hmm. or even if you think that you're worth having um you know nice experiences like i believe that i am but didn't when i was in high school because you know they're gonna leave you being a dirty old piece of tape um is really, really harmful. Right. So this is part of, I mean, I have many reasons why I'm so passionate about this, but that's one because I've seen the harm. I've seen it myself and I've seen it in, gosh, at this point we hear tens of thousands of people that I've heard Definitely. their stories and I've seen how the harm shows up in their life mm-hmm. with the shitty sex. Up. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that about mm-hmm. Elizabeth Smith. Oh God. That's like heartbreaking. Yeah. That's awful. Awful. Yeah. And she's become a proponent for sex education mm-hmm. and people are like, that's an interesting jump like how does a kidnapping survivor make that their cause mm-hmm. yeah and that's why yeah definitely well we have on a <laughs> I guess moving moving, moving on oh, oh, yeah, to the party <laughs> you were like sex is so interesting it must be a good time i'm like not really <laughs> so we 
definitely want to get into it. We had some audience questions yeah, that yeah, we want to get that. into. <laughs> Before we get into that, though, we did have one question that we kind of thought of ourselves that we really wanted to ask. Yeah. What are some myths related to sex that you want to debunk? Like, oh, if there's, I mean, I'm sure there's like, so many, but like, three. yeah, what's ones that like just people like maybe in your coaching that bring up or that constantly come up for you that you're like, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, it's so classic, but the should anything mm-hmm. is 99% of the time wrong. I should, you know, oh, let me think of a recent example. So I should, I should tell them that I'm not interested or I shouldn't do this or I, mm-hmm. sh- you know, I, if I'm not having an orgasm, then that must mean that they're mm. not good in bed. So then I should, you know, so mm. all this, they're going to get their feelings hurt if they do this. And I'm going to, you know, yeah. and it becomes like a, a game mm-hmm. and, and people, you know, cause they're trying to protect themselves or trying to protect the other person's feelings. Like my sex drive is down. So now my partner's feeling insulted or rejected. So then they're getting upset and that makes me withdraw. But then that makes me have sex. I don't want, you know, so just like these kinds of, um, they're behaving, they're, they're, it's like a chess game. Like they're maneuvering and they're trying to like strategize. Mm-hmm. And I'm always just like, what if you just said it? Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm feeling rejected because your sex drive is down. Okay. Or, hey, my sex drive is down and I'm feeling like I'm having sex when I really don't want to. Or, you know, communication just lay it out. <laughs> lay it out, you know. Um, but the problem is that um, we aren't taught how to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, as we mentioned, the sex education if anything, you got, you know, the STI mm-hmm. and they called it sex education, but mm-hmm. it doesn't often come up too much in life. Mm-hmm. I mean, it does occasionally sometimes, but like mostly you want to learn how to talk mm-hmm. and that's a skill that very few people have. Definitely. So unless you're already a good natural communicator, you're in a situation where you feel really, really comfortable with that partner and you kind of mm-hmm. figure it out together yeah. and make your mistakes together. Most people flounder a lot and then they come up with their own rules and their own myths mm-hmm. to support those rules. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, the big myth is they shoulds and the should nots mm-hmm. that they made up. Right. In their head, and they convince themselves that it's true. And, Definitely. Yeah. Do you feel like people often have the same shoulds and should nots, and that's, like, society-based? Or do you think it's more like, okay, this is what I learned in past relationships, or this is what I learned in kind of maybe my upbringing with my parents? Kind of how do you see people's individual, like, pressures on themselves come from? Yeah, both for sure. But mm-hmm. the bigger societal ones tend to be around, um, if this, then that means that, mm-hmm. you know, so if I go have sex with this person, then that's going, they're going to think that I'm, you know, I'm a slut. Mm-hmm. But if I go down on her, then she's going to think that, I, you know, so it's mm-hmm. just these kinds of gendered, mm-hmm. a lot of, um, messaging around what good people do and what bad people do, especially mm-hmm. for women. Like, good girls don't do that. Bad, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's common. Ugh. The stuff around upbringing, goodness gracious. Mm-hmm. Somebody told me once, they went out on a date, I'll never forget the story, as a, as a teen, and they were given the nickel mm-hmm. to put between their knees. And they said, when you get back from this date, I better see an impression of this nickel between your knees. Now, this person is in their 60s. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Feeling divorced, now in a new relationship, mm-hmm. getting a second lease on life, feeling now's my time. Mm-hmm. 
I was in this unhappy and sexually unfulfilling marriage. I'm in my later years. This is my chance to be sexually fulfilled and happy and empowered and good. And I can get out of my mind that I need to keep my knees closed. Mm -hmm. Like that is the type of like societal messaging that so cognitively one can be like, yeah, I'm a grown up. I can have sex if I want. Mm -hmm. But then there's this voice that's like, no. Because uh-huh. sluts do that, and yeah. you're not, and because sluts don't aren't respected, and you're a respectable person, so you're gonna keep your legs closed. Oh my! So yeah, wow. Yeah, Sorry, I was it's powerful. My <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so crazy. Mm-hmm. That's that so, insane. I, I like think about that too because I waited to have sex until I was 23, so this year, um, which is something like I'm fine with that decision, and I did. I was also in everything but what I would do with other people, <laughs> yeah. but like I feel like that was a lot of my upbringing and not that my parents necessarily were like don't have sex but it was kind of one of those things where I think my mom's only partner was my dad and kind of like I I, like she just they're older so it was kind of one of those situations Mm -hmm. and I'm like that's so wild that even though I feel like I grew up in a household that allows me to be like sex positive and everything almost my upbringing didn't like even there were some notes of not being that too which is so crazy to me my mom she'll like try to like be like oh you should wait but then I see her like She'll kind of back down and realize, like, it's my choice. Like, mm-hmm. it's what I want to do. It's At the end, it's what I want to do. Right. So, like, I'll, like, catch her, and then she'll, like, kind of realize, I think, what she's saying. And she'll be like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> she yeah. won't say stuff. But it's, mm-hmm. like, you. everyone's, like, they are raised so differently. That yeah. story's like that. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I yeah. would have, like, fought my parents. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you can't tell me that. <laughs> I've seen it go the other way, too, or people, similar experience to yours, might be in there their early 20s and, and haven't had sexual experiences and then feel a shame or a situation around that where they're mm-hmm. like, well, what's, mm-hmm. you know, what's wrong with me? Why aren't I, you know, other people are. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of compar- comparing to yeah, other people, might not desirable, like, you know, mm-hmm. so yes, there's, yeah. there's, yeah, there's the messaging, which turns into myths. And myths are just things that, you know, either some society told them or they came up with yeah. themselves mm-hmm. and they just buy into definitely but like you bring up a good point too about you know even though you had some sex positive messaging mm-hmm. there's these little little mes- little yeah. messages and I think that's the same for everybody mm-hmm. certainly I have them mm-hmm. and my parents you know try to be body positive try to be you know my parents are feminist mm-hmm. but certainly messages got in definitely um from them inadvertently and society still at large. And so I think the key is is just being introspective mm-hmm. and just being able to notice when that, that stuff happens in you and being able to challenge it yourself. Mm-hmm. And then if you can, finding someone like me to work through that coaching process. Mm-hmm, but yeah, I think just noticing that is really important. Yeah. So one audience question that actually relates pretty well to that nickel story a little bit, kind of, it, it kind of goes off I guess now, but, um, this person said, what should I do if I want to have sex on the first date, but I'm nervous about societal pressures for women to not do that? Mm -hmm. Because we hear all the time, like, oh, if you have sex on a first date, like he'll got what he want and then he'll go. Like, so kind of how do you tell people to, who want to be sex positive and want to work through that, but still feel like there is that pressure to not? Yeah. Yeah. The, The reality is, is that, whatever the fear is, might be true, mm-hmm. right? And that's a thing. You might get slut-shamed. He might not want to date you anymore. He might think mm-hmm. this or that, right? And so it's about making peace with you doing it because you want to do it, mm-hmm. knowing that there's those risks are there and they're unfair and they're bullshit. Mm-hmm. But if you're doing it for yourself, then 
That's the right. So if you're like, I want to do this because I want to do it and I know what the risks are and I'm okay. Mm-hmm. Then yeah. Now if to not do it, um, because you're afraid of those judgments, I think it's a shame to let that stop your desire, but also mm-hmm. I want to acknowledge it's acknowledge it. You know, yeah. it's not like an irrational anxiety, right. you know? So just want to make space for that too. Mm-hmm. And be like, yeah, like I get that. It's not fair. It's bullshit. That, mm-hmm. that is, it has to be considered. Definitely. The next question, how do you bring up a lack of sex to a new partner? Um, she said that she thinks he may have intimacy issues, but she doesn't know how to bring it up without making him feel bad about himself or like he's not giving it up enough or something like that. So she wants to, I guess, um, not to put words in her mouth, but I guess wants to have more sex with her partner and have more of that, but doesn't know if he kind of wants to, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, No one ever likes this answer. (laughs) But 99% of the time someone asks, how do I say? And then they tell me what they want to say. My answer is that. Hey, I'd really like to have more sex, but I'm feeling some resistance from you. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure if that's because you're not interested or you have some intimacy stuff. Like, what's going on there? Talk to me about it. I'm interested. You know, like, Mm -hmm. literally what she she just said works. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, she, you know, obviously has the skills to to say those words Mm because she did. She's formulated what her feelings are about it. Really, it's not an issue of not knowing what to say. It's a, it's an issue of... The awkwardness of them saying it. Right. And awkwardness and sexuality are big for people. Mm-hmm. No one wants to feel awkward. Mm-hmm. People go to great lengths to avoid feeling awkward mm-hmm. in a sexual encounter. Mm-hmm. The sooner we lean into the fact that this is a part of it, the happier and easier yeah. it is. Definitely. <laughs> like, you're going to feel awkward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, the next one we have is, they said, how to choose the best vibrator for you. Mm. Oh, this is an area of my expertise. Um, <laughs> so there's um, there's a number of factors to consider. Mm-hmm. And um, the first is the area of the body you want to stimulate. Mm-hmm. So if you want, and you know you're a clitoral, external clitoral mm-hmm. orgasmer, then you should get that. If you like vaginal penetration, you like both. So first is like, what is your goal? Anal mm-hmm. toys, penal toys, like what's your goal? Um... So then once you got that narrowed down, then you want to look at things like material. I'm a big, big proponent of silicone. It's worth Mm -hmm. the extra pricing because Mm -hmm. it's just cleaner. It lasts longer. It's nicer. It's just I don't even contend with non-silicone toys Mm -hmm. at this point. Um, And then you want to think about things like motor, the amplitude, because that's like you don't want to be uh, using a vibrator that's like a toothbrush, like an electric toothbrush, oh, yeah. like a buzzy. So you want to make sure that I've got a good solid motor. Mm-hmm. Um, I like when people are able to to see them before they buy them into sex shops that, right. that have them out for display mm-hmm. because that's the only place that you're really going to get a sense of it. And then I think of it also like you're booking a hotel. What amenities do you want and how does that compare to price? You know, if you just want to drive, rest your head at a Motel 6 and you don't mm-hmm. care, fine. If you are going on your honeymoon and you want balconies with a view, 
So that's what things like, is it rechargeable? Mm -hmm. Does it have a safety lock? Is it, you know, waterproof? Mm -hmm. Is it, you know, you start adding amenities Mm -hmm. that you want. But those are like last. And the color and packaging. But (laughs) I think people end up doing them backwards. They do it exactly backwards. Like, well, this is pretty. (laughs) I know, I was going to say, I definitely do that. I'm like, oh, it's a dildo when I have an orgasm that way. But it's pretty, you know, so. (laughs) People are like, I don't like it. I don't like sex toys because they didn't like the first one. Yeah. They just don't work for me. (laughs) The next question is, um, they said, in quotes, had a fucking orgasm and working through mental or physical walls. I'm not sure what they meant by it. We were trying to figure out last night what they meant by physical walls. We were like, they're hymen, but we don't know what that Um, meant. My guess is a physical wall might be... um, like the actual techniques maybe Mm -hmm. like how to move or what to do. And this goes back similar advice with the sex toy is, um, well, one, get a sex toy Mm because it's easier to learn how to orgasm with one than, um, with any other method. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, so then, you know, be stimulating the area. I would start with, with the external clit, um, Mm -hmm. before like doing any penetration or anything like that. And then, um, so, Techniques, there's a really cool website called OMGS where, um, do you know this website? Mm-mm. They do research on female masturbation and then they actually have explicit but not pornographic up close videos of people doing them. So they're like, if you're going to circle, and then you'll show literally somebody like masturbating, circling their clit or doing edging techniques or do, you know, all those different things. So you can learn the techniques but for the most part, it's not physical. Right. In most part, it's the mental. In which case, um, you know, to boil down four months of a coaching package mm-hmm. into 30 seconds, you know, it's a lot of giving yourself permission. It's a lot of mindful practice mm-hmm. and getting out of your head and breaking the anxiety cycle of, like, trying, taking your focus off the goal. Because mm-hmm. when you're trying to have an orgasm, then it becomes like a whack-a-mole. Like, it goes every which way you are not. <laughs> so just enjoy the experience of the arcade, and then you find that you're able to, to get it a little easier. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And would you recommend, like, if someone hasn't orgasmed and say they have a partner, would you recommend them, like, working on themselves first? Working, I don't know what else I was to phrase it, but kind of, like, uh, like making sure to see if they can do it with themselves first before, like, expecting a partner to? Or, like, how would you recommend that also? I think it's always easier to do it yourself first mm-hmm. because then you can be the expert mm-hmm. and then you're teaching mm-hmm. them how to do it. But mm-hmm. if you don't know how to do it, not to say that you can't learn together and that can't be fun, mm-hmm. but that's certainly a, a method. Or that both can't be happening at the same time or trying together and also you're trying on your own. But mm-hmm. I mean, most folks tend to have an easier time learning any new sex technique on their own first. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Then the next question is, other than communication, uh, this is kind of a heavier question. I can explain it too if this wasn't enough information. But other than communication, what's a way you can work through triggers um, during sexual encounters with a partner you trust? So I think this person shared a story how um, they were raped and kind of the neck was a trigger for them. How do they work through that if, say, that's something they want to do with a partner they trust? How do they kind of work through that, I guess? Yeah. So I think for things like that, the work again, needs to be done on their own Mm -hmm. and um, doing specific trauma-related therapies, Mm -hmm. of which there's different kinds and and different things work for different people. Personally, I found EMDR very Mm -hmm. um, 
life-changing. And so that's something that, you know, personally, I always, you know, if people aren't familiar with it, that might be something to, to look into because then it allows you to compartmentalize is like a word that sounds negative, but it allows you to put away and put aside mm-hmm. intentionally the trigger so it's kind of almost like you're able to take, you know, in that situation, if they want to do stuff around the neck, they can take that trigger and kind of literally place it here mm-hmm. and be like, you're here over on that corner of the room. And now we're going to be in the bed and we're going to be here. Mm-hmm. And so you can kind of like move it right. away from where you want it. Obviously, this takes a professional mm-hmm. and... Um, time mm-hmm. and self-compassion like anything's around trauma mm-hmm. like you know like it's heavy it's hard and giving yourself mm-hmm. the compassion to say like this might never be something we can do or this isn't something that we can do right now or it might be great for a long time but there's going to be episodes of triggers my whole life and that's mm-hmm. just something we can be okay with um so i think having that self-compassion too Definitely. yeah mm-hmm. and then the next question is What's, so I know you kind of contributed, I think it was for Cosmo magazine about this. Um, what's the best and safest way to prep for anal? So um, I want to first note that anal, like we tend to think about penetration, mm-hmm. but like there's lots of ways to do anal play. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I feel like people are like, get nervous or like think about all the, all the prep that needs to happen with like anal penetration where like fingers, toys, tongues, anything externally is is anal sex as far as I'm concerned. And, and that takes much less <laughs> prep. <laughs> um, so as far as doing it safely, you know, it's, it's the classic um, lube, 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 and more lube, mm-hmm. you know, which is, is advice that's given everywhere as it should <laughs> um, because it's, it's not self-lubricating and you really can do damage. Like you re- and, it, and it's not fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't want to be, hurting so and then and also I think is is not necessarily taking it slow people think I mean take it slow and they think that I you know want to put on like Marvin Gaye take it slow <laughs> no, so like that. although that can be a thing you know making space for the romance um I mean take it slow like the process might not be the first time or every time mm-hmm. you know so sometimes you could attempt and it doesn't get to that that level of penetration and that's fine because you can do the other types of play so i think preparation is mental to to give yourself the space to say you know we're not goal oriented we don't have to be like thrusting to feel successful right you can you know have fun however it ends up showing up so and i think that actually ends up making people relaxed and prepared Mm -hmm. in ways that ironically end up working better and that makes sense for i just thought of a question too for lube do you always recommend a water-based lube do you, yeah in to, general more i tend to recommend silicone silicone okay. yeah okay because i i don't know why i heard with the condoms it doesn't work as well or is that not true okay yeah, cool no, they're fine they're yeah. good and they're 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 less likely to be so a water-based lube can be made really well mm-hmm. or it can be made really cheaply right. it can have things in it that are irritating or not and Consumer education, of course, like sex education Mm -hmm. around sex products Mm -hmm. is not great. Um, So it's not always clear to know how to shop for a good water base. But silicone, because it's silicone, Mm -hmm. is higher end material and it's hypoallergenic naturally. Mm -hmm. And they don't put additives in it to make it slippery because it's naturally slippery. It tends to be Mm -hmm. a safer bet. And also it has some major perks like being waterproof. So shower sex and all that stuff. 
Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the next question we have is, do men feel a sudden disinterest after orgasming, and is that the opposite for women? No. Mm-hmm. So oxytocin mm-hmm. <laughs> is a hormone that everyone experiences during sexual activity and orgasm and other parts of life, but those, and that makes people feel bonded. Mm-hmm. So it's a myth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then this one is um, how to approach long-distance relationships in a healthy way, and then going off of that to how to have phone sex. So going into a long-distance relationship is really important to set expectations mm-hmm. that are realistic because the biggest thing that's going to happen is disappointment. Mm-hmm. And then the disappointment, if, if you're in person and someone has their feelings hurt or someone has, doesn't have their needs met, then you can, like, talk about it. Mm-hmm. But it's more difficult if you're like, we, we don't talk as much as we thought we would or, like, I'm disappointed that I thought we were going to have a call and, and you're doing something else and then we have to wait two days before we were going to have our call to talk Mm -hmm. about why we didn't have our call, you know, so it becomes, um, difficult. Mm -hmm. So I think having realistic expectations in the beginning is really important. And then as far as phone sex, um, oh gosh, there's so many, um, really playing with, um, the other senses Mm -hmm. because you can't touch. Mm -hmm. So doing moaning and doing dirty talk Mm -hmm. and if you're video chatting doing more like strip teases or Mm -hmm. getting a vibrator or sex toy and like masturbating in front of one another Mm -hmm. reading like an erotic story out loud like things that you're playing with the senses I never so, thought about that, like an erotic story. That'd be fun. Mm-hmm. Or like, writing them. That was an text assignment. Jack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can you can get pretty creative. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You can also have dates. This is something I've actually worked with a number of coaching clients on mm-hmm. who are in long distance relationships and are struggling and and doing ways to find like quality time that's mm-hmm. not just talking because right like if you're in a relationship and you're in person you're going to talk mm-hmm. obviously but you're going to like do things you're going like, to watch a movie you're going to play scrabble you're going to yeah. like play mini golf like mm-hmm. you're going to do activities together and enjoy one another's company and that piece is missing mm-hmm. so how to do a date over a phone how to do a date over skype right mm-hmm. another question i have too when it comes to long distance relationships is a lot of people say like oh, in order for it to be successful, it needs to have an end to the long distance. Like, we need to plan to live together by this date or move in the same city by this date. Do you think that's true? Or do you think there's other ways that long-distance relationships can still be happy without or be successful without that plan necessarily? That's a great question because I don't know what the research says. Mm -hmm. I'm sure someone studied that. Mm -hmm. And I don't know the answer. But my sense is... Mm -hmm. It would be about the expectations. Mm -hmm. So if you think it's going to be six months while someone's in school and it drags on for years, Mm -hmm. I feel like they're not going to be happy. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you, you know, people live in different parts of the world and they have a heart connection and they're very happy with twice a year visiting and phone chatting the rest of the time and that's their relationship and that's their expectation, then I think that could very much work. Definitely. Forever. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Expectations are important. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, we have one more question from the audience. Their question is, should you discuss how many sexual partners you've had when you're getting into a new relationship? Ooh. Um, I don't think that there's any reason to not. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really your business. Definitely. You know, I think you don't owe anybody the story or the numbers. If you're 
interested to share because it is a part of your life, mm-hmm. um, I think that's fine. Personally, this is a personal note, not necessarily professionally. Personally, I never understood um, the jealousy about past relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you know, like I frequently um, discuss with my husband our exes just because if they'll come up. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, I literally just the other day um, booked our family vacation and we're going to visit my parents and we're going to get a house in the Outer Banks. Mm-hmm. And the last time I went to the Outer Banks was in college with my college boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And I was telling him about the vacation that we had because mm-hmm. it came up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so for this part of my I mean, that was my life, mm-hmm. you know, and so for it to to be out of conversation and that's what people want. Mm-hmm. then obviously that should be respected. Mm-hmm. But I think it shouldn't be off limits, but at the same time, you shouldn't be forced to like share your personal business. Feel right. obligated to say something because someone else yeah, is right. nosy. Because just because you're you're their sex partner now, you don't mm-hmm. own their sexuality or their sexual history. Definitely. So I leave it to the discretion of the people, but I advise to do it with an air of maturity mm-hmm. and check your jealousy. Right. Definitely. Check yeah. your jealousy. <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> 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 New secret. Exactly. <laughs> well, this has been amazing. Do you have any last things you want to share? Any last information? And also, how can people find you on Instagram, online? How can they work with you? Yeah. Um, so, my website is thesexologist.org. My Instagram is sexdocjill, like Dr. Jill. And yeah, I do a bunch of things that people listening might find it, find valuable. I do the one-on-one coaching, which I mentioned. I also am hosting two retreats in San Diego in the fall. And one is for women and femme folks on sexual self-care. And we talk about a lot of these topics, how to communicate, how to set boundaries, how to get to know your body and organs and sex toys and mm-hmm. all of those things. The other one is a couple's retreat. Um, so that might be interesting to folks yeah definitely yeah awesome well thank you so so much we're so excited about this this has been amazing (laughs) so this has been another episode of dating or at least trying i'm alex i'm daisy and we were joined by dr jill (laughs) thank you all for listening thank you bye